I'm Kurt. With, I'm Kurt from the MFG cast, and I'm stuck with these assholes. <laughs> the Legends of Tabletop. The, the, they're here. Uh, we need to. We need to go faster. We need to go faster. And he like just about bowls over Sebastian. <laughs> so, when we embarked on this um, excursion, what was our exit strategy? Were we planning on returning to our previous boat, or so I think the story setup was that you three were friends with, and I forget her name, but there was a native mm-hmm. um, who was also part of the band, and she kind of came to you and said, I've got some more information. If we can sneak off and do this ourselves, you know, we'll have an upper hand anyway. So if we want to strike off on our own and start our own kind of mercenary band, whether that leans more towards the Spanish or towards the natives, you know, it's kind of a free for all. So, you know, results are what matter. So mm-hmm. you kind of knew that if you split off from, from your bigger group, from D Medina, you, you had a bit of information. He had a bit of that information. You just had a little bit more mm-hmm. from what your con- connection had given you. So I think she convinced you, you know what, if we go and accomplish this, then, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So you can kind of call your own shot. So if you had accomplished this and you were successful, you can kind of decide what you want to do. You can either take it back to D Medina and say, look what we've done and use it as a bargaining chip to maybe raise higher in the ranks of the mercenary group. You could, split off and create your own mercenary group or you could just give it back to the natives and say you know we've done this it looks like there's a sledgehammer coming down on you guys you guys are going to need all the help you can get you know so it's a that altruistic you know hand it over to the natives and give them you know a machine gun when everyone else just has you know like a pistol kind of thing so it's it's kind of dis- the decision's kind of up to you guys what you would want to do. So there's kind of three options: whether you go back to D Medina and use this as a bargaining chip, you can strike off on your own, or you can go back and talk to the natives and see what either they can offer or what you can give them. So our, our initial contact sort of elsewhere, and we can go and run the booze with her or return to the village with the natives or the Spaniards um, with you. Um, I hadn't really given it that much thought. What are your guys' personalities like? I mean, Give me one second. I'm going to go grab a drink real quick. I'll let you talk for two minutes, and I'll be right back. Okay. I, I was going to ask him how much time we had. <laughs> so so from, from a gameplay standpoint, from the book, you – you know, a full day hasn't passed, so you guys didn't spend the night in the village. You know, 
from some of the gameplay stuff, you didn't fight the villagers and get knocked out and get sent right, into right. the sacrificial pit to try to escape. So mm-hmm. you, you didn't rest overnight. So you kind of just went and talked to the holy man and said, all right, we're good to go. Let's go. So you have time to decide what you want to do. Uh, you know, there's when you look out, it looks like the ship has just docked. So, you know, you kind of can stereotypically you can see the chain the anchor just dropping kind of thing you know it, they're not that far away it's not like you have a, a day of hiking from there it is pretty close if you can see it from the top of the temple but you do have you know 15 minutes to decide okay guys what are we oh. going to do there's yeah there, there's there's no one you don't see a bunch of swaying leaves in the jungle of people marching through yet so you do have a bit of time okay but f- 15 minutes not like an hour yeah, so let's say 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, because you're pretty close to the coast. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. But, but so taking that to, to feed into what your options are, you know, to get back to the village itself, it's only a couple-minute walk if you wanted right. to go back and talk to the natives. 15 minutes is a pretty good head start. You know, sit lollies and natives. So if you wanted to scarper off and, and you know, cut your own path away, 15 minutes is a pretty good head start considering if the Spaniards show up, they don't know what the situation is right now. So they're going to have to spend some time talking to some people, doing some research, going to the temple. So you guys do have, you know, enough time, you know, they're not just going to, you're not going to walk down the steps and they're going to say surprise at the bottom of the steps. So you do have, you do have all three options are available to you from a gameplay standpoint. You have all three options available to available to you from the time you took to accomplish the task. Sure, sure. Okay. okay. All right. So, are we doing this in character or out of character? <laughs> well, I think we should do it in character because we're probably bo- all seeing it at the same time and like processing, you know, like, uh oh, you know, we didn't expect this to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not even sure, so I'm hoping my character knows. Remind <laughs> 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 All right. So, 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 all this is, uh, you know, we have company and then. Um, uh, we we need to to keep the egg because they are they are not worthy. They they did not defeat the the, the guardian. We we defeated him, and we we claim the dragon. The dragon is our dragon. Well, the locals have been sitting on this forever and done nothing about it. But I don't fancy going back without us. <laughs> I think we've uh, parted ways since the day we left. I didn't hear that last part. What did you say? I don't fancy returning to our loss, given uh, given the events of the last day. I think we're on our own now, one way or other. Yeah, I do too. I th- I think that I think that when it comes to this, I think that we can't we can't go back to Lorenzo because he'll he'll think that that basically we were caught with our clothes down. I don't know what they would say about. I'm just going to say what I would say now um, with our pants down. Um, I think that we need to, I think that we need to find a way to get out of here and to take it, to free this land of, of the curse that they have and keep it for, you know, keep it for ourselves. Not, not, not as, um, gosh, what, what is she trying to think of? Not, not, to, not to be greedy, but to, as I think the best choice possible. We can't give it to Lorenzo. The, the, the people of this town will tell us to that this is to keep, and they'll try to push us away, 
or you know maybe some of the some of the people around here will try to take it for themselves not being part of the tradition so i think i don't think we have any you know any other option but to find a way to get out of here alive just just out of courage for one second didn't they um the people of the town actually say to us we could take the treasure away like if we defeated the trials yeah they, ba- they basically want they basically us mean. to take it away so that yeah. so then you know they're free of their duties so they can actually do you know live a normal life basically well will they there that's the question right so like i i wonder whether or not they're also not somehow uh, unnaturally still in the jungle you know somehow affected by whatever is going on with the temple you know what i mean so like when we go back the village is empty or you know they they pass on to some other plane or something like i don't know how pervasive the magical like you summon a snake out of thin air so <laughs> you know it, they certainly they certainly did say didn't they they felt bound here by honor if not by magic but certainly there was an obligation they were locked to so that's the fair supposition that they'd maybe just walk away, um, yeah, yeah. even if they're not magically bound here. Um, yeah, as far as my character is concerned, Lorenzo is no kind of option at all. Um, and then he kind of goes on and goes, well, our, our contact steered us right so far. The temple was what she said. There was no danger in the village. The trials were not insurmountable. I say we keep betting with the faction that's led us right so far. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't know what those villagers could do in the face of Lorenzo's force. To go back there would be a death trap. Um, how, so, Kevin, do we know how many people he would have available to field if he was just going to, like, try to kill everybody in the village? So he has... Let me look. I mean, I guess we would know that since we were part of the group for a while. Yeah, exactly. So... So I'll give you a bit of knowledge. So he does have a dragon with him. Oh. And the dragon <laughs> rider. So if you read the book, the dragon rider is always female. So mm-hmm. in at least in Europe. So he has a dragon rider, a dragon. He has his kind of priest. So Aguirre is with him. And then there's Medina. And then he just has a couple, you know, a conquistador and a gunner. Um, you know, he, so he does have maybe close to double digits, but like I said, you're part of the group, you know, you're part of his team. So but he has a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so he, you know, he does have, you know, you are part of his, you know, mercenary crew. Um, and you know, like I said, it's all, all, all fair and love and war. So he's not gonna. He's not going to necessarily straight off the bat think you guys have wronged him kind of thing, that you beat him to the punch. You know, he's the boss and you've worked for him, but you also have, technically, you have something that can either be bargained with or, you know, you can use to your advantage either against him or, you know, with him kind of thing. So it's not like a giant army. It's not like he's flooding in with, like, battalions of people. It's just a you know, a small group. Yeah, but even if he's got... So even if we can convince the villagers to fight with us, he still has a dragon with him. (laughs) So it doesn't seem like a very good option. Um, I'm assuming it's like a a full-size dragon, a regular dragon? Yes. So from 
So if you had a new American dragon, they would be a lot bigger. So European dragons are a bit smaller, but it is, for all intents and purposes, it's, you know, a dragon with a dragon rider. So yeah. um, from a game standpoint, they don't stat it out. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. but also take into consideration the villagers themselves. You know, they've been pretty accommodating and open with you. Um, you know, this is a kind of anachronistic village around this temple. So it's not like they were stopping you from doing anything. They weren't hindering you. So it's not like they're sitting on a pot of treasure and they're trying to keep people away from it kind of thing. So, you know, they, you know, like the holy man said, they were here for a reason. And for all intents and purposes, you are the reason. And, um, you know, you can make the assumption that, you know, lots of people have come before and those villages were still there when you showed up. So, you know, they were set out for a specific um, duty. So Sitlali um, would would say to uh, Sebastian and Maria, um, maybe may, if, if you two uh, get a head start and go away from the temple and uh, I can run back and tell the villagers to uh, to stop them to to make them wait and then we could get a head start and we could get away because they have a dragon and hard dragon he's still not a dragon he's he's still a, a, a baby dragon egg so we we can't fight them that actually makes a lot of sense I was like I was thinking of pitching something very similar um, but I was gonna be the self-sacrificing priest but uh, that makes that makes sense to me my character would be on board with that Although, to be fair, my impression of the villagers, the first time we met them, was pretty much a lot of them were honor-bound to be here. So maybe to tell them they, they're free, their, their duty's complete, and they can leave if they choose to. Well, they that, that was, yeah, that was the other thing he was going to say. Mm. I mean, unless you, I mean, you know, unless, we can have that conversation unless... in character. If you want to go, that would be fine, too. I, my, my thought would be that they would probably just kill us because we left. I know Kevin said that's not really, you know, maybe, maybe not, but like we bailed on them as mercenaries and went to the place before them, which looks really bad. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So your your character is basically saying that you're gonna tell go tell them that they're free and then we're gonna try to get out of here. Yes, and he he would also ask them to try to like hold them up if if that was possible. Be like, no, we didn't see anybody. Go to the temple and do the thing and. You know, if you're worthy, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll get the treasure kind of thing. So does it occur to us that we know exactly how to get back? Because I have a, in my mind, I would feel like Sitlali would be actually the one that would be the best to get us back safely mm-hmm. to our ship, you know, without any incident. Where I think if it was me and Sebastian, it would be a little hard luck trying to get there unless we went back the way we came, which we wouldn't want to because it would be basically where they're probably coming from. Oh shit, that's right. Our ship is right in this probably in the same spot, right? <laughs> yeah. So they know we're here. We yes, just had yeah, to they, figure out a way to get out of here with your boat stops kind of right where next to where theirs at. So yeah, but they also yeah. haven't I mean they they also mm-hmm. haven't hauled your ship and breached there or anything. They just kind of docked and went, oh, those guys are here already. So, you know, they're, mm. they haven't torched your boat or anything yet. 
Shit, I didn't even think about that. Because um, he was just thinking to take off through the woods or through well, the jungle. If we don't tell them anything at all and the guys turn up, they're going to go either in the temple, which is probably the best place they could waste their time. Yeah. So maybe we're better off not saying anything at all. Yeah, I I think the less they know about our whereabouts, the better off. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and ha- instead of having Sit Lolly go back in there and be like, "Hey, here I am," you know, we're with them, blah blah blah, you know. <laughs> Although it, half it, a dragon you know, sounds a lot better than a third. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> go ahead, Sit Lolly. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> we'll have your half on it. Yeah, safe trail. Uh, that that's what I think I would vote for. I would push for that idea of, of not telling them anything because they're not going to be any better off knowing than not. They're not going to pack up the whole village in the next what hour um, yeah. and vanish. So, yeah. And my guess is that they are they will know somehow that we've accomplished our mission. So they they won't they right. won't need to right. tell them. Mm. That's fair. Um, so should we just try to make our way like a really wide berth around mm-hmm. the village and kind of back towards? Where the ships are, maybe wait for nightfall. I'm trusting you on this one. You're the local. <laughs> <laughs> I've done my precinct on this temple. <laughs> well, so he, I mean, theoretically, yeah. I mean, he would he would understand the jungle better. So it would be I think, able to. I think it would be fair to assume the Spaniards would be using torches at night, which means they'd be easy to avoid if we didn't. If that makes sense, yeah. they're going to be shining out. So, but probably holding up somewhere. Maybe put as much distance between us and the village as we can, and then and then wait until nightfall. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so say that the using the temple as as the center of a compass, mm-hmm. and the village is to the south because we walk straight through to the to the village. So we just go like straight west for a while until it gets dark, and then try to make our way back then southeast back to where the boats are docked at. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we don't want to tell them that we that we completed the mission and we're just kind of waiting for them to you know maybe post a watch and you know maybe get drunk or you know maybe try to spend their time dicking around inside the uh the temple it, it gives us some time to move around yeah and and it might be something that maria actually thinks of that kind of stuff because she technically has explorers one of her skills so she would you know probably think out of what exactly they would be doing at the moment and how they would approach it. And it seems like they're very nonchalant about it all. So it, it, it wouldn't be a thing like, you know, obviously we're the chosen ones. So we'll probably, you know, it'll probably be easier for us to figure out stuff than it would for them. So who knows how long it would take them to actually get to the point. Yeah. I mean, in Sitlali's experience, like if they were, you know, going out for combat, you know, they would wait to try to draw them in with a bunch of dudes and, like, you know, snipe them from the jungle, you know, where they would have all the advantages. But with just the three of us, not really all that <laughs> useful of a tactic. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I guess at that point, then we just we make for West and, you know, we'll just try to put distance between us and the temple and the village, assuming that they're going to go straight there. And then if not, mm. they might start looking around, but it's, it it's was like noon when we started or something like that. So it's got to be like mid afternoon, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, late afternoon, early evening. So <clears throat> I guess depending on the time of the year. So it, it's getting towards 
you know, late evening, not late evening, but you know, it's like late afternoon. It's a sun, you know, it's, it's, it's closer to nighttime than it is the daytime. So if you guys go ahead and make a break for it, you know, you'll have a bit of cover because the sun will be going down and, you know, sit Lolly has a, you know, bit of, you know, knowledge of the local. And I think Maria said she was explorer, right? So you'll Mm -hmm. have, or adventurer, you know, you'll have, you know, that piece of it. So you you guys want to take the chance and risk it and, and try to get away, then, you know, now's a good time to do that. And you do have the, the, you know, the, the, the tools to do that. Can I, should we uh, resolve this as a survival check then? See if I can kind of like pick out the best path, sort of cover our trail, make sure it's not like super obvious that three people just kind of shuffle through this way. Yeah. So, so what do you have on your character sheet? I'm trying to scroll down to you. Uh, survival, which I think would be appropriate for here. Um, mm-hmm. Stealth, maybe. Okay. Um, knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be yours. Then, Maria, you have adventurer, right? Uh, I have explorer, but I also have, okay. yeah, I also have, you know, same thing, stealth and survival too. So, okay, so you have explorer, and then <clears throat> I already got anything in these areas. Yeah. So I. So let's do, let's do this. So you're you have you guys have decided the team has decided you're going to not notify the village. And then you're also going to try to get away from the Spaniards, right? Or from from the mercenary crew, because there are <laughs> more than just just Spaniards there, but mm-hmm. they're mostly Spaniards. So check, let me check Seb. I'm just trying to think if there's one thing Seb can do so we each can do a check for each of you. Okay, so Seb has knowledge. And then Sit Lolly has survival. Is that what you said, John? Uh, yes. Okay, so survival, and then Maria has the, um, adventure. Is that what you said, Kurt? Explorer. 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 So let's do a check each of that. So who do we want to go for? So there's survival, explorer, and knowledge. So let's do, um, let's do explorer first. So... Maria can try to look out from the temple <clears throat> from the top of the pyramid and kind of say, like you guys were saying, the village is to the south. Those guys are coming from that way. What's the best path for us to go to try to, to try to get away from them? Okay. So let's do a explore check for okay. So that's just out of the deck, correct? The deck, and then whatever your however many cards are blocked out, and then your yep. number. All right, so that's a six for me. Okay, so uh, the check was a one, plus we made it a hard, so that was a four. So you are successful. So Maria looks out and kind of says, "This is probably the best path to go, just from you know experience of working with." Medina and some of the Spaniards before if we go this way they kind of won't they won't think to go that way they're going to go either straight for the village or the pyramid so you guys go ahead and make a break for the 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 way Maria is kind of pointing they don't know about the right path they they never got that part 
Exactly. Well, the, the background <laughs> story is there was always rumors about this, and there was a priest who, in the past, had written down some information, and then I don't know if you read the story, but he ended up tattooing it onto his body, a map to get here, and then that piece of skin ended up in the book that your contact, who you were friends with in the group, she had discovered that in the market. So you had some kind of weird, creepy skin map <laughs> to kind of get nice. you where you needed to go. Sweet. <laughs> so the best like kind of map. Exactly. Being a new kind of the general area, but you had the more refined. That's why you were able to get here ahead of him. So, so with Maria's knowledge uh, as an explorer, you know, she just says from, you know, past experience with, you know, working with Spaniards and Medina, let's go this way because knowing him, he'll either go straight for the pyramid or he'll go straight for the village. So you guys get, you know, about a, an hour or so head start kind of off into the the underbrush and the the growth with that so for the next check we said um seb had knowledge right knowledge. okay i've got two i believe let's see i've got two cards now i've got a three so i got seven plus three ten it would be the total okay and i pulled an eight so that was a five plus a hard with Three, so that was eight. So once you guys have, once your team, you're moving a bit slower because you're both, you know, you're trying to pull the, the egg slash stone slash gem with you, the kawatli stone with you. Um, Seb kind of looks around and, you know, the same kind of thing Maria was saying, you know, his experience with dealing with Spaniards, uh, you, know, you guys got a bit of a head start. So he's thinking... If we keep going this way, we've been earn ourselves enough time. And just from past experience with marching with the mercenary group, how long they take, you know, the Medina's, you know, looking to gain this. So he's not just going to go in and slash and burn the village. So, you know, Seb kind of tells you he's going to spend some time talking to the holy man and talking to, um, you know, some of the other guards that are around there. Uh, he gives you enough time to maybe gain an hour or so even on top of that. So it's getting a bit, you know, darker now. It's not, you know, deep dark night yet, but, you know, you're further along and you're looping back towards your, um, you know, back towards the coast to get to your boat. So you guys so far are in a, in a pretty good position. Sweet. So far, so good. Okay. So it's going too well. <laughs> The last check would be, would we say, survival for Lolly, right? Yep. Okay, so let's go ahead and do that. All right, so my high card is a five, which gives me an eight total. Okay, and we pulled, uh, the check was an eight, because that was a hard, and pulled another five. So that's, Ty goes to the runner. So let's say, you know, you're creeping around, you're pretty close to where your boat is, you know, you're back near the coast. Um... But sit, Lolly stops you and, you know, points up to the sky and you kind of see, Sit Lolly sees something flying around up there and, you know, hears some screechy dragon noise and Sit Lolly kind of runs up to a hill, you know, where you guys are at and kind of looks back towards the village and can see... You know a bunch of flames 
shooting up from the general vicinity of past the temple to the village itself. So the the the, the pyramid itself kind of looks like it's framed now. The sun's gone down, but you can see the pyramid a lot better than you kind of should at this time of night because it looks like the village is kind of on fire at the moment. So he he just like they they they're burning the village. The 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 mercenaries are burning the village. They they destroyed everything. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that the villagers are there. But but you saw they were they were in the woods. This is this is their home. They they live in the in the jungle in the village. You don't know that. That you don't know where they come from. They don't know where they'll be free to go. They might but we be. Didn't okay. Tell them they were free. We 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 hid in the woods. Uh, Maria puts a hand on Sitlali's shoulder and she says, "Sitlali, they know they are free." He he looks unconvinced. <laughs> he takes both of her hands and almost like grabs his head, but almost like in a, like a more aggressive way, like slaps him a little bit. Like when she grabs and looks into his eyes, like stares right into him and says, sit Lali. They know they are free. You are, we are, they are fine. Uh, he pulls a fucking wadded cocoa leaf out, fishes out another one, sticks it in his cheek, starts chewing, takes a deep steadying breath. He's like, ah, Oh god, we are close, but the, the, the dragon is, is not sleeping. Okay, so um, so you notice the um, like I said, the village is kind of burning. Uh, you're up at the top of the hill, so you're you know you're a few hours away now from where the village was because you kind of take a circuitous route. You know, it's not that long to get to the coast, but you kind of just trying to go through the jungle to cover your tracks and things like that but you are about maybe you know 10 minutes away from the coast and to go back to your boat so um i guess the decision is do you stay around to see kind of the what happens with the village or are you gonna head for your boat itself we should make haste there's nothing more that can be done here agreed I'm kind of eyeing Sid Ali as I say this. <laughs> he's he's kind of standing over to himself a little bit, and he's just kind of like staring out at the burning village. He's like the lone figure on the hill, staring off into the you know thousand I, yard stare. I'm probably still with you because I think we're still attached by the egg, are we not? <laughs> oh yeah, well, let's put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm following you around because you're trying to move away and get some excitement. Well, I think when he probably saw the village burning, he probably put his end down and sort of ran up. Not that it's really any closer, but, you know, sort of ran ahead to, to see what was going on. So, Sitlala, you have um, perception, right? Correct, sir. Okay, so why don't we do a perception check? So we did easy, hard. What's the other... What's the one above hard? I'm trying to see. Uh, I want to say it would be challenging, but I don't know if that's the right terminology. So easy, zero, hard's plus three, and then, oh yeah, there we go. Hard, very hard, epic. Um, let's do a hard perception check. So go ahead and pull your cards for perception. Oh, I got a joker. All right, so for perception, my high is an eight, but I also have the Joker. 
Okay, so I pulled a two and the heart is plus six, so that's eight. So the joke would make that advantage. So you won. So just Sweet. from kind of what you picked up just from when you were talking to the villagers and just the fact that you're native and, you know, so you maybe don't know the complete folklore and history of this specific tribe or, you know, because like I said, this is kind of an archaic area in beliefs. You know, the thought comes into your head that, you know what, we accomplished kind of what they were stationed there for. So I guess whether we want to be a bit grim or we want to be, be a bit not grim. So either the villagers, like you said, they've once, once they heard that kind of rattling in the pyramid, they, they kind of knew that you guys had accomplished their task and, you know, what they've been set there for all these centuries was accomplished. So either they all said, you know what, we're done here. Let's go melt back into, you know, the, the surrounding countryside and find somewhere else to live or, you know, so let's do it this way. So most of all the villagers kind of were told by the holy man, you know, your job is done here. You know, all the generations of your families, everything that they had been tasked to do is now complete. You are free to go. So all the rest of the villagers and the guards kind of melted back into the to the jungle to go off and strike out to blend in with other tribes and mix with other tribes and the holy man itself um you know ha Hu is now dead the you know the task is complete so the holy man kind of just sits down in the middle of the village and starts you know meditating while the spanish dragon and all the forces come in and like i said there's he's, there's a bit of contentment to him so he's He's been around longer than he really wants to be. He's not ready to go out and strike out on his own again to to start over. You know, he's hundreds of years old, so he just kind of sits down and watches the village kind of burn around him and, you know, his task is complete. So, you know, Sit Lolly kind of has that feeling that, you know, the task is complete. Everyone who wasn't the holy man made their way out and the holy man has you know accomplished his task and he's quite happy to uh sit down and take a rest okay so as he's staring off into the middle distance having all these sort of thoughts as the flame flickers he sees that open section of the pyramid that sort of fell down where they grabbed the egg off the pedestal and he just like immediately show you know, like he stands back like straight up again and he turns around and he he runs over to Maria and he grabs her by the sides of the face too. He doesn't smack her, but he grabs her face and he goes, "They they knew they you're right they knew they heard the the, the stone and the pyramid and 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 they all and they went away and he just like starts like dancing a jig like around her and then he runs over to Sebastian and he kind of like grabs his face and looks at him. And then he runs around like a little circle around him. He's like, what? "We, we, we should go. We should go because because they they all left, and we have the treasure, and we we have the treasure, so we should go." Yes, yes. Maria's like, "Good idea, Sit Lolly. It's nothing that we didn't just suggest." I'm still I'm still holding onto half the bag, so going, <laughs> "Yeah, good idea." I guess we make a move for it. Mm-hmm. 
should I make or, or I don't think there's a group stealth dynamic, but do you want us to make some sort of a stealth check to make it down unseen? Since no, I think you're close enough, and there's enough going on back in the village that you know once Sitlali assuages everybody that you know whatever happened in the village is kind of what was meant to be, and you know we were sent to do this. So even if there is you know, loss of life or the village is destroyed. That's kind of the whole reason why the village was there. So you've actually accomplished what you needed to do. So there's not that kind of, as a Catholic, there's not that Catholic guilt that you're leaving. <laughs> you've, done, you've done what you needed to do. And, um, you know, you've accomplished the task and the villagers were there specifically for this. And like I said, the Holy man was there specifically for this moment. So, you know, you make it back to your boat. Um, I'm trying to think, do we, it's not a full-on kind of boat, but it's also not like a little canoe kind of. I'm just trying to think what size. It would. So it's big enough that, you know, there's rooms in it and a sail and kind of things like that. And like I said, D. Medina didn't kind of hole your you know, put a hole in your hull or anything to sink it because, you're you know, you're still – you are still or worse, still part of his team. So you are quite capable to get back on the boat and – and head back out. So let's just say it's small enough for the three of you to man that you can go back out and, you know, head back to, you know, maybe one of the islands where the rest of the mercenary, where the, we're not maybe necessarily just your mercenary group, but, you know, a lot of the mercenary groups, like, um, I'm trying to think like Jamaica, like Jamaica used to be like the central point for all the pirates, even though they weren't all together, that's where they hung out. So I'm trying to think of the, the equivalent for kind of Mexico. So you're heading back to like the main port where all of the, the mercenary groups hang out. So, you know, you, you're, um, you're back on the boat, you're heading back to kind of your main base where you guys, um, set up kind of headquarters kind of thing. So at this time, it's probably, yeah, it's nighttime now. So you're heading, maybe it's, maybe it's after midnight now and, you guys are moving. So since it's a small, you know, it's a small boat and all, it's only three of you. So it's not like the three of you, all three of you are kind of working everything. So one's working the, the, the tiller and one's working the sail and one's keeping an eye out ahead of you. So let's do a perception check while you guys are all working on the boat in the dark hours of night. I had seven total is my high. Okay. I think maybe like a sloop or maybe something a little bit bigger than a sloop would probably yeah. be what we're in. Like I said, it's, you know, the, it, it's big enough that it's not like a, a rowing kind of thing. You know, it's got a sail and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It's not like a big galleon or anything like that. So, but you, so all three of you are going to have to work it. So it's not like you can take shifts or turns or anything. You know, you're all, you're all kind of up and awake and I guess the, all the adrenaline's keeping you awake. So it's not like you're, you may be tired, but, you know, the fact that you've accomplished the mission, you've got one over kind of on D. Medina, you've gotten away. So you're all kind of all G'd up and, you know, and, and you know, working to get back to, to the port. So Sit Lolly got a seven. What did Maria get? Eight. Okay. And what about Seb? I'm trying to remember with perception. I've got two in it, and I thought with zero you get the 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 disadvantage. But I've got no cards in the boxes, so do I, I still draw I one think card? That's a or 
No, I think that's a misprint. So, because if you go to where the character sheet is in the book, it hmm. specifically says that you fill in the number of cards that you have per uh, skill. So, if your yeah, skill is three, it should have three cards. Awesome. Like, it should have. Yeah. At least one, I think, is what we said last time. Yeah, you should have at least yeah, one. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I don't think so. that's right, though. Yeah, that sounds right. But, so, I'm going to assume I've got one card in it, yeah? Or not? I don't have any cards. That's fine. Yeah, just go ahead and one. Uh, in which case, I got a three. Okay. <laughs> in total. That's modified. You got a three. Maria got an eight, right? Correct. And Sit Lolly got a seven. So let's just say Seb's kind of at the front, you know, on the old. Um, keeping so an eye Seb's been carrying eggs that he's tired. Yeah. And he's, he's keeping tired. an eye on. Making sure there's no reefs or anything, you're on the front of the boat. On you know, on you make sure you don't run into anything and sit lollies. Let's let's say sit lollies on sail duty just to make sure the sail doesn't fall because I don't know if you want sit lolly on the on the tiller steering. Let's see, Marie is the one steering the. What the hell is that supposed to mean? (laughs) (laughs) You're a bit jumpy, so you just (laughs) you need those cat-like reflexes in case the sail kind of starts billowing down or a rope breaks, and you got to put it back up. So when you sit, Lolly and Maria kind of look over to where the bundle is, where the stone is, and they can kind of see some smoke coming up from it, and sit, Lolly kind of jumps over first because that's what Sit Lolly does and kind of sees a crack kind of down the middle of the stone itself where the where this where this yeah I guess the smoke or steam is billowing out of the, the stone itself. He, he so he just runs over, he starts clapping his hand he goes, It's it's almost it's it's ready. It's a dragon is is coming out of out of the egg. We have it's dragon and Mar- Maria like kind of rushes near Sitlali. Be careful! Don't remember this dragon doesn't know who anyone is at this point, so you have to be careful. He 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 will know us, and and then he will be ours, and he will destroy our enemies. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't. I hopefully you know. I'd like to think that that would just happen, but with anything that's young, you don't quite know what's going to happen. I mean, especially with, well, even you, you're older and you, we don't even know what's going to happen with you. So just be careful. What? I, I don't, yeah, I, I, sit lolly, sit lolly. <laughs> yes, you are. Can I make a, um, I remember reading in the rule books, uh, that, Pretty much all the dragons these days, or uh, the majority of dragons I might be familiar with, would be Catholic. Um, can I do a rights check to, to see if I know anything about, certainly in the Western um, sense, um, what to expect with a, with a, when an egg hatches? You know, yep. what would be the, the procedures that a priest would go through um, to ensure kind of the dragon didn't turn on them or there wasn't disaster looming or whatever? Yeah. Um, is that okay? Yep, that sounds good. Right, that. Rights. Uh, seven, eleven. I've got eleven total. Okay, so I did a nine for this one. So this was a hard. It's just wondering uh, if of... I know anything at all about the procedure that uh, that a priest like looking over this as a, as a ceremony would would go through. So, 
from what you've known from kind of European dragons, mm -hmm. um, the main difference between European dragons and New World dragons, like I said, is the size. So eventually, the New World dragons are a lot bigger. Um, the new, the old world dragons, European dragons are a bit more docile compare comparatively to new world dragons. Now that's like I said, that's a matter of degrees docile. It's a dragon. Um, but the fact that European dragons are only ridden or mastered by women, that goes kind of back to the whole St. George's legend. So St. George you know, subdued the dragon. Well, the legend is he slayed the dragon, but in this, he subdued the dragon um, and he converted the dragon to Christianity. And from then on, all of dragons born after that fought, at least for the Western Europe, or for Europeans, quote unquote, Western European dragons mm -hmm. always fought in the, in the armies of Christendom, but they were always managed by women. So they were always women riders for the dragons. New World dragons are a bit different. They're a bit bigger, but they also aren't necessarily quote unquote managed or by women. So there's not that, okay. that gender piece of it to control, control, I guess is the wrong word, but to ally with the dragon. So New World dragons are a bit more, um, either they protect, a city state or protect a tribe or protect a grouping they're not tied to religious you know in in europe it's all christianity and they're all managed by women so for new world dragons they are whoever hatches whoever they hatch to and whoever they can gain an affinity with is who they would um be allied to mm -hmm. or if the dragon hatches and you let the dragon go the dragon would then make up its own mind. So obviously it would kind of ally with any of the kind of native Mesoamerican tribes if you just let it go generically. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that, that's a, that would be a decision you could try to make, whether you want that dragon to be specifically an ally for you or your group of people, or you would just let it go and it would find its own way whether to either be a tribe or a city state that it would be um you know a, a protector for do we do i know if um if dragons are able to fly straight from birth or is that something that develop later in life you would be able to know that they can fly right off the bat so there is no stage where they're trying to learn that i i kind of then say to my colleagues um if we don't want to lose our prize, then we should get it below deck, away from the open skies, which wasn't intended to rhyme, but <laughs> <laughs> came out that way. Uh, uh, in, in the cabin? Where's, we can put it in the cabin. Mm, good idea. And I, I'll, I, I know it's releasing smoke. Uh, I'll touch it tentatively to see if it scolds me, um, if it's warm to the touch. It is, but it's not anything that is damage wise it just feels warm i'm trying to think what a giant chicken egg would feel like when it hatches but no it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no it's not anything that would cause any damage or anything to you so you guys can pick. so you would you still would have to the two of you would still have to pick it up and yeah. get it down but yeah mm -hmm. it's not there's not any you know there's some kind of steam and stuff billowing out i guess that's just for flavor it's not like it's on fire or anything like that 
in which case I, uh, I grab the one half of it and, and see if anyone joins me. Yeah, so I'll even grab the other half. Then um, the pair of us will get it below deck, somewhere somewhere in the hold or something where it's away from the open skies. Okay. That's what I'm losing. So you get it down below, and the rest of the egg cracks open, and then you see the dragon come out of the egg, so it kind of doesn't shoot out of the egg. It kind of breaks out, and it kind of comes up and looks at you. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of, like, Quetzalcoatl or any kind of Aztec. So it is a more, I guess, serpentine dragon than, you know, the stereotypical D&D European dragon. So it's a bit more sinuous. It's covered in a rainbow color of feathers. Um, it does have, you know, small hands and legs, but, you know, it is almost like the, almost like, almost like a Chinese dragon that you would see in, if anybody has a Chinese dragon tattoo or the pictures. So it is very sinuous, but the Mesoamerican, there are, they're covered in feathers. They're, it's, a, it's almost like a rainbow color of feathers, excuse me. And it kind of looks at you, um, doesn't say anything. It really wouldn't say anything, but it, you know, kind of cocks its head around and kind of looks at all three of you. So let's see what checks we can do for this. Um, boom, boom, boom. Let me pull up the sheet real quick. And we'll do well, while you're doing that, so when it pops out and he sees the, you know, like stretches out one wing and then the other wing, and so Lolly's like, oh, he, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And he reaches out to like pet its head, like stroke down its, down its back. So it, is very amenable to that. So it doesn't snip at you or anything and kind of makes some. So my cat's snoring right now. So it makes a purring sound and cat, almost a cat snoring sound. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it doesn't, you know, it's not hostile or anything. It kind of looks at you. I'm trying to think how big it would be. The, if we're saying a pumpkin size, so it's not really big. It's probably about maybe two feet long, you know, from head to tail. Right. Um, so, like, like Daenerys's dragons when they first hatched, but instead yeah, of being yeah. little quadrupeds, they're. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, they've got the four legs, but they're a bit small. And they, like I said, they're more snaky, sinuous kind of thing. So, you know, kind of tilts its head and kind of looks at you. So, yeah, there's nothing hostile or anything. So, let's do some checks for Maria has. Let's see what her best is. She has. Maria has riding. Um, Sebastian has, I guess we can do knowledge. Let's do rights. Cause if we're going to go, cause Sebastian's a priest, right? So Maria has riding, Sebastian has rights and sit. Could knowledge. I do knowledge? Maybe this is, you know, knowledge is for some of the legends and stuff. Well, exactly. Maybe, you know, so I'm trying done? to think. So Maria, obviously she's a noble woman, right? So all noble women know how to ride horses and. They're very good at riding, so we'll do a check for riding for Maria. Um, for Seb, since he's a holy man, we'll do rights. And then Sit Lolly. Which one did you say, Sit Lolly? Uh, knowledge. Just like general, like, you know, lore knowledge about the Let's dragons. do perception because you could do perception because you're native, so you would know right. more of the history kind of thing. So each of you do those checks and i think those are all pretty good checks for each of you right so you mm -hmm. at least have one or two cards for that uh my high is an eight okay 
Mine is not so good. I only have a four. Okay. Uh, I pulled a ten with a joker. Ooh. Okay, so you're super duper. Okay, so you may be converting <laughs> this dragon. Okay, so unfortunately, I pulled a one on a hard, so that's a one plus a six, <laughs> so that's seven. So I pulled really shitty. So Maria tries to use her knowledge of kind of what she thinks European dragons are. So there's always a female rider, um, a female commander of the dragon. Um, so the dragon's not hostile to you but it kind of gives you the vibe of yeah that's not the way we do it over here you know there's not any kind of female command that rides it you know that stereotypical european thing you're used to but like i said you don't get the you don't get the feeling that you're you know that you're being ignored or being i'm trying to think yeah so it's it's not a slight against the against the quad Kawadi. Yeah. Kawadi. Yeah, she kinda yeah. she kinda under understands, you know, she's kinda like, okay, okay. Yeah. So Maria goes, you know, okay, she's this, like, is, this is how we do it in Europe, and you know, I'm gonna give it a try. And it kind of looks at you and says, Yeah, that's not really how it goes, but you know, we're still cool because you found me kind of thing. So Yeah, exactly. And she'll and she'll basically she'll basically like kind of smile at it smile at it and be like, Okay, we'll do it your way, and then kind of like scratch it underneath its Fit underneath its mouth or underneath its chin does kind of playfully, you know, kind of, you know, get at it a little bit, even though she knows that, it, you know, what she was trying to do is not quite right. So it gives it a, you know, it gives it a, a you know, a purring sound and kind of flaps its wings. And then you see its feathers, you know, cause it's all covered in rainbow feathers. It kind of, you see all the feathers kind of mm-hmm. shake down it. And it's almost like it's uh yeah, almost like a cat, I guess, because the stupid cat's next to me. So yeah, so it's it's very happy. It gives you a you know very happy look. So that's that. And so then, um, Sit Lolly is next, and you did a knowledge, right? Uh, you made me do perception. Perception. So yeah, so you did a perception. So you kind of realize that you know this this Kawadi kind of is part of your team now so you know you found it it hatched with you guys um with your team it doesn't really want to be treated as maria would think it would want to be treated but it's not it's not using that against you it's not a you know it's not offended by that if it could be offended so it you know it's looking around and kind of sees you guys as part of its you know I'm trying to think what it, what would a, a pack of dragons be a brood or a herd or whatever. So you know, just from from Sitlali's knowledge of you know local lore about Kawadis, you know, Sitlali kind of realizes, yeah, we have an ally now, so we know we've got an upper hand on anybody, and it's our decision whether we want the Kawadi to stay with us or if we let it go just to be a free agent to go do whatever it wants. Mm, okay, so he, he ponders on that as he's you know patting it. Okay, so then Seb got a super duper score. So Seb kind of looks at the Kawadi and the Kawadi, you know, the Kawadi got a nice scratch from Maria, and you know it looks at Sitlali and kind of realizes, yeah, Sitlali's kind of who I'm used to seeing around just from, you know, some atavistic knowledge of what Kawadis do. You know, Sitlali kind of looks more 
what he's expecting, what the the, the Kawadi's kind of expecting, what people would look like, you know, is Sitlali is kind of that because Sitlali's a native. But uh, the the Kawadi looks at Seb, you know, you, and your eyes kind of lock, and it kind of looks at you and says, you know, I kind of I kind of dig you too, and you know, I'm quite happy to expand my knowledge of the world itself outside of what you know my ancestors or my progeny are used to when it comes to either peoples or tribes you know because it thinks in tribes or the knowledge that we have built up through all the years and it kind of looks at seb and has that look of you know you're someone different and it looks like you've got all kinds of different knowledge that i'm not access to now and I think it'd be really good if we kind of got together and I can kind of learn from you and what your beliefs and what your feelings are. And I can tell you, you know, what, what kind of our standard is and how we think and what we believe. So it kind of locks eyes with Seb and kind of like tilts its head sideways. I just kind of mimic the, uh, <laughs> mimic the motion. <laughs> Try to figure out. Okay, so you guys are sailing back to your kind of home base where all the rest of it is. And from a game standpoint, you know, you've escaped with the Kawadi Stone. You've accomplished the mission. Um, the mixed Kawado dragon is born, and it now is loyal to UPC. So, it, you know, it's if it would have hatched and wouldn't have gotten a feeling from you it would have just flown away and like i said it would have either latched on to a specific tribe or a specific city state um that needed protection almost like uh the ancient greeks had their own you know gods that were the you know the gods for each of the cities um so in mesoamerica each of the kawadis would have chosen a city state or a tribe to be kind of the guardian of so once the mixed kawato dragon hatched and the feeling he got from maria and from sit lolly and from seb kind of said there's a lot more here that i would be a part of and there's a lot of knowledge i could learn and a lot of knowledge i can impart to this crew and i'm quite happy to be allies with you guys so now you are a subset of a mercenary company that now has a Mitsukawato dragon. Hey, nice. <laughs> <laughs> now Chaotic we can thing. use it to smite our enemies. <laughs> exactly. That's and that's the thing. That's what the the ending is. Is you've you know you've befriended the the Mitsukawato dragon, and you can decide what you want to do next. So whether you want to go back to D Medina and say, look, we've got a European dragon and we've got a new world dragon. We're going to be pretty badass. or you can strike out on your own. And whether you want to be free agents, like I said, this is a time where you can align pretty much with anybody where you want, whenever you want, you know, whatever, whoever pays the best, you're not a complete straight down the line Spanish. You know, it's not like the inquisition's traveling with you and you have to be, you know, towing the line of the European side of it. And you're also not a complete native um, native group that you can decide, you know, which side you pick, whether you start your own or you even go back and, you know, 
bargain with D Medina from a either almost like a what's the saying? Uh, it's a group of equals. So you know you're all you're all part of a group, but you know you have as much sway and as much power as him now because now you have a new world dragon and you know that's always more helpful than having a european dragon that's never been here before right right uh so lolly would would be all for the the three of them maybe pitching in together and uh you know having the dragon as their as their muscle so to speak um i I don't think at this point because they have a full-grown dragon um, he would not be interested in going back and trying to uh, barter or bargain with him at this point, just because they would be at a disadvantage at the moment. So, mm, agreed. Well, I wonder whether or not we wouldn't, you know, keep the dragon's presence in hiding altogether, because at the moment it's only what was it, the size of a watermelon or something? It's only small. Yeah, like two feet. Yeah, very small. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we were, so I was thinking, my original concept for Salali is that he was away from his village, like maybe doing like a side thing and mm-hmm. that they would go back there. But if they were like completely mercenaries um, and they were, you know, they're going back to like, a, you know, a, a hide a hideout or something that they had had previously or, you know, like a safe house that they use, then yeah, he would, he would, you know, follow Seb's lead on that and just be like, yeah, let's, let's hold up for a little bit. We'll, you know, get get some meat for it to feed it, try to get it to grow, and you know, kind of lay low for a little bit. You can be the A team. Yeah. That's the best part. You um, I'm trying to remember what the song was from the A team, but you know, you you guys now have the opportunity if you want to that you can be troubleshooters for anybody that comes along. And I think physiognomically, physiologically, it's not going to be that long until you're pretty badass. The dragon doesn't take. You know, it's not a hundred years when you go from a worm to a great worm or anything. So you, you know, it's not like you can, you have to wait very long to, to strike out on your own. But yeah, you, you definitely have a very powerful ally with you now. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> and that is the end of the game. Cool. Thank you, sir. That was a lot of fun. That was really good. Yes, let's try to break it down a little bit. I guess we can uh, kind of talk about it. I, I, I like the setting. Um, I think it's. You know, I mean, Ed Dragon say anything, it's better, right? Um, but uh, I think the card mechanic is interesting because you do have some more uh, agency as far as what you want to play. Like, you know, if you're in a combat, like say maybe when we were fighting one shadow demon, there's three of us. You know, you could discard lower cards. You know, even if it's it's a spade, which is the equivalent for the the combat thing, uh, to maybe pull a higher card, it's going to get you a better result. Yeah. You know, later mm-hmm. on, or just be like, oh, you guys will handle it. I'm just going to discard some of my ones and twos just yeah. to try to draw up to a better hand. Or, you know, if a character has a better uh, you know affinity for you know maybe um, you know social skills, like hey, you know, I got this. You know, you can kind of set your hand up to the way that you want it. Kind of. Well, um, if so you have that, yeah, and if you have that where you have a bunch of crap cards in your hands, but there are either your affinity or they match to what you're doing, then you can chuck those to get better cards because you know, like I said, one of the things in the book, it says you can't really say, look, I've got a whole bunch of ones and twos. You have to play yeah. the whole, yeah, I'm feeling lucky today or yeah, I'm not feeling good. So I, I like the card mechanic 
where it's just not a straight dice roll and it's completely the chance. It gives you that bit of deciding what you want to play and trying to judge it. And you can either judge it great or judge it wrong where you throw a bunch of small stuff and it really screws you. But yeah, I think, I think the card mechanic, if it's, if it's laid out and like I said, that, you know, if it's laid out and described a bit better, I think it's really, really good. And maybe we just missed it or maybe I just missed what that was but i think that is a cool a cool way to play it because it gives you all those different chances it doesn't leave it up to chance it's up to you to decide what to play mm. i also think if you were introducing the game to newer players who weren't so established in the hobby i think a lot of the dice games where they've got so many types of dice people get so confused between a 10 and a 12 whereas the the cards are just a big number in your face it's it's yeah. much simpler for a newer player to pick that up yeah and i also think I find a lot when I'm GMing with newer players that when it gets to their turn, there's like this deer in the headlight moment with like, oh, what do I want to do? And the game slows down to a crawl. Whereas I think in this, when it's not, when you're not acting, you're thinking about what you want to do. What's in your hand? What can I do with this? And I, I noticed straight away with a, with a quite a complicated system while we're all learning it, people are, are acting very, very quickly in this. Um, and I think I could see that being carried over to, to the game in general, even with newer players which I thought was really cool as well. Yeah, I think you, you run in. I think combat goes a lot quicker too because that's always mm. the complaint depending on what system you use that, you know, if you're running, you know, 4E, you know, the, <laughs> you've got this and that and, you know, it's just each each player, if you have a big party, it just it drags on that, the, you know, any of that kind of, you know, that round really does take a long time. But I think this does streamline a bit. And like I said, it gives you that bit of, if if it's if it's for newer players who haven't played before like you said i think if it's it's easy for them oh i just drop a card and it's a six and i want to really do good this one so i'll sacrifice the card even though it's not my affinity or it's not you know the 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 right suit you know that's the kind of stuff it makes it easier because it is like you said it's a deck of cards so it is it's a bit easier you don't have to worry about well if i attack and it's a plus three and all that kind of stuff or you know all the modifiers. You know, there are some modifiers in this, but it is pretty straightforward. It's I add up my cards and put a plus three or a minus three on it, so it's really good. Yeah, even with like the with the with you know getting your cards and having them in front of you, it it makes it more um, more um, I don't know more. It makes it seem more real. Where you know sometimes when you're playing, you're Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. They're they've you know made like cards with you know spell cards and stuff like that. But sometimes it's nice to have what's in front of you. That's basically you know it's like this is that one plus one equals two. It's not something where you're like okay, what does this mean? You know, and then you have to flip and like okay, that's what that means. Okay, but then what do I do if I want to get this? Or you know, it's you know this is more streamlined where you know it could it benefits beginners and role-playing games alike because it's you know it makes it a little bit easier for the gm to just be like okay you know you have this plus your plus this and you don't have to add like a whole bunch of things you know be like okay here's your you know it's just that advantage or disadvantage and then you just pick it you know you don't have to have 80 different things that kind of and i think if you're waiting to play it helps because you can look at your hand and so maria's going Mm -hmm. And Seb can say, well, I'm going to do this because I've got these good cards in my hand. If it's just straight dice, you can try to plan out what you want to do. But if the dice comes up a two, then you you know, you know, can't do it. But at least if you have some good cards in your hand, 
you can map it out. So it does make those actions go a bit quicker. And I like the fact that you can do as many, you can do as many dodges or reactions, you know, it doesn't count against you because in the real fight, you're always going to be dodging, but that, that if someone attacks you, you can counter attack and whoever gets the higher score wins, but then you lose your attack when it comes to your turn. I like, I think that's really good that, you know, like call of Cthulhu, you only get one dodge each time. And that's, you know, in a real world, if someone's coming at you, you're going to keep dodging no matter what. So that, you know, that artificial, you can only dodge once kind of thing, or, you know, that I, I like the way this does it, that you can always dodge, but if you counteract and you hit, or even you know, if you counteract and you lose your turn, I think that that's really good. I think that works out really well. Mm-hmm. I think there were, um, there were a lot of rules in this, which I don't think I certainly didn't appreciate going in. And what I kept finding throughout us playing was that when a rule started to make sense, like once we understood it, the version that, that was correct was simpler than the version I understood it to be. Yeah. So the game started to make more and more sense. And a, a good example of that is the weapons. Uh, my weapon was a three, two bonuses. And I was like, well, why not print it as a nine? And the second you realize it's saying the two hit and the damage, yeah. it suddenly is a much simpler, more relatable rule. And I kept finding that again and again with the system where it all just started to fall into place that I thought was um, was really nice to see as you, as you played more of it. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. And like John said, I think the, I think the setting and, you know, that whole thing just it makes it really cool. And then if you make that easy bit, if you play test it once or you run through it once really quickly, I think it gets you into, if you want to do a longer campaign, then you can bring in the corruption you can bring in all of the the traits that are pluses and minuses. What you know, no, noble or xenophobic, and all that kind of stuff. Religious. I think that you know that that feeds into you know doing an, a, a longer campaign. It makes it a lot more fun because it gives you a lot more options to play that character, you know, and, and different things to do. And I think it is really good if you do a quick an hour or two game, so people can, like Daniel said, pick up those those kind of rules once you do it once through or twice through it it just kind of clicks really you know really easily so yeah i think there's a couple of things like in the first half of the game we were doing damage wrong right so we wasn't it didn't seem really clear in the book and you know when you're reading to play something for you know like a demo pickup game or something like you know if you're playing D &D, you pick up the book and you read it from you know front to back and you take notes and you're making your characters and stuff you know we use pre-gens you know, all of us, you know, put in, you know, maybe a couple hours here, an hour there to try to like just get an understanding so that we can play it. So like Danny said, as as we played it a little bit more and kind of went through it again, it, you know, things started to click and kind of start to make sense, you know, because you're reading it a different way when you're like, shit, let's get a game in, you know, because mm-hmm. this is, you know, obviously these guys are coming to Kickstarter, so we're going to release this, you know, as their Kickstarter is running. So, you know, we're trying to not rush through it necessarily, but you're trying to pick out key things like, okay, what does my weapon do? What is, where is my health at? You know, those, you know, what are my skills going to do? So it's a different kind of read than if you, you know, back this, you got the hardcover book and your group is going to play it. Your approach to then do that is going to be different. Cause I still feel like there's things that we we're probably doing wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think we did it wrong to a detriment, I think, you know, it, it played really well. And so I think the stuff we did wrong was just because we didn't know, but I don't think it, I don't think it ruined the game. So if you go into a new system, 
and you do stuff wrong, it completely blows it up when it all comes kind of grinding to a halt. I think this one, you know, it all kind of made a bit of sense. And what we did maybe wrong on the first one seemed logical. But when we thought about it, this, you know, like Daniel said, it just made it smoother doing it the other way. And I think, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't crash the game. We just kind of went, oh yeah, that was a bit wrong. Let's do it this way. And I think it still worked really well You know, when we realized that was the wrong way to do it. Yeah. And it's just like any game you play an RPG, a board game or whatever you, you play it so many times. There's going to be times where you play it, you played it your 10th time. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. We've been playing this wrong the whole time. You know? <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, it's just, just learning, just like anything, learning anything in life, you're going to make mistakes, but you know, well, I mean, if you this, do it, and that's, that's always the thing. If you do it consistently. So if you're wrong consistently, as long as everybody <laughs> knows that, you know, you're not breaking it and everybody's playing that way. You, know, you don't have people getting up from the table saying, oh, that, you know, it, it broke the game or, you know, it made everything crawl. You know, combat took two hours for, you know, four characters kind of thing. You know, I think it, you know, it, this one was a bit easier where finding that, finding that fix for it didn't, you know, it made it go a bit smoother. So it, you know, it was a better. Yeah. Yeah. The combats were quick. Like you said, you know, that's, you know, especially for a podcast, you know, you get bogged down in, you know, three or four hours of combat, you know, because there's, you know, when we record and like we do a game like this, everybody is just headphone and mic, you know, there's no side chatter. Like, you know, some of those podcasts, like, you know, they can be good, you know, even with that sort of combat because you have like side things going on yeah. where we don't ever do that. Like our typically, and this is a little bit of a change from our regular game, but we still have some really great role play. Um, there's more of a, of a mechanic feel to it because we're kind of discussing, you know, how, how I was going to say roles, <laughs> how you take, you know, uh, do checks and play cards and things like that. Um, so this, this one had a little bit more of a, you know, mechanic feel to it in between. But, um, you know, even though we did things wrong, the, the overall style play is more narrative based because you yeah. have levels of success and, you know, the, the different levels of difficulty and things. So there's ways that you can just sort of narratively, you know, handle those things like, oh, well, that's, that's not an easy, you know, that's a really hard check because it's raining, you're on a slippery rock and blah, blah, blah. Okay. It's a plus six. There's no mystery. There's no other crazy things that you're adding. Well, my skill plus my proficiency plus my whatever, you, you flip over a card that you add a number to that card and that's it. You're done. It's simple. And for games like that, that you have, like, you know, I keep harking back to 4E, but that's always the, you know, the stereotypical. If you're sitting around a table and you have five players and you have to do an action and then a reaction and all that kind of stuff, it's fine because there's beer on the table and everybody's got some pizza yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, all that stuff. But when you're doing it online, that it, it does slow it down a bit and everybody's waiting for their turn. You know, you're not all hanging out, you know, looking at the dog or, you know, chatting or looking out the window. So that that streamline kind of thing does lend itself towards kind of online, online kind of games and not having, having to parse all those different things, having it just out in front of you and just to flip over and some pluses, it does, it does make it go a lot smoother. Mm -hmm. I, I also think the, um, one of the strengths of this game is its flexibility because I could definitely see some people, the card mechanic, having looked at the dice one in the book looks like it would feel quite different in play. And what I like is the fact that 
a lot of the card-based games only present the cards, and a lot of dice, almost all dice ones are dice only. I like in this, you could have a group at the same table with different players playing with cards or dice, yeah. or you could change it session by session. Um, I really like that flexibility baked into the set, set the system, because I think that makes it more approachable. And I think the best thing I've seen about this system is the the law. I mean, we we only got to touch on a little bit of it, but just like the um, but you mentioned on about the the origins of the dragons being associated with Christianity, the way they've subverted and kind of perverted real world law and and folded fantasy into it, I think is wonderful. And the one conceit about women be, being kind of repressed, representing the you know the era effectively, um, then to say that women actually act as the dragon riders. So, so, so if you're a female player, you're a male playing a female character, you can kind of have your cake and eat it. You could play a downtrodden woman, or you could just as easily go, well, I'm actually a dragon rider and I'm revered and respected. I like it. it it's kind of approach history but also let you have your fantasy and, and, and giving you both angles. But I love, there's loads of little sections on it on like Salazar leading like Salamander armies or Slard armies and stuff. And it's, it's lovely seeing that real world history merged with this fantastical extra stuff on top. And I hope they, there's a lot more of that in the, the core books when they release it. Cause I found yeah. that absolutely fascinating. And I think that's what they said they were leaning towards. And like John said, I think that is the, the setting in the backstory and all that is really, really cool. Cause everybody knows about, you know, Cortez and the conquest of America and all that kind of stuff. And I think adding this in, adding the dragon in and then taking the, you know, St. George and the dragon and all that kind of stuff. It is, it, it does make it really, really, really cool. So I think it is. And, and it's not just, I think what they said, they're going to sp spread out, not just from like the central America, Mexico, you know, they do have some Inca stuff. They do have some North America stuff. So that is really neat that, you know, expanding on that. Yeah, and with the with the setting being what it is, um, I, I like the fact that they don't, you know, sh they don't shy away from the racism and the sexism and and all those, well, you know, historical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it it's literally part of the game. Your character yeah. has prejudices on your sheet, um, yeah. which we didn't we didn't go over too much, really. Um, I think in a campaign setting, you probably get a little bit more of that because there's an ability for you to, uh, I forget what the mechanical term is, but you can, um, you can work on your prejudice and have that removed. So your, your traits and your prejudices can change over the course of a campaign game. Um, if, if you want to do that, or you could just be, you know, the classist traditionalist imperialist that Salali was and will always be, um, or you can, you know, kind of, depending on what sort of story you want to tell, tackle those things in game in a fantasy dragons conquering the new world setting and do a campaign about the sexism or the racism that's going on at the time. Or, yeah, or yeah, you could yeah. just sit around and have pretzels and beers and, you know, flip cards and, <laughs> you know, try to kill each other, you know, whatever. That's uh, certainly an interesting aspect because, um, you know, a lot of times that sort of stuff is sort of glossed over in game. So to, to make it a part of the mechanics, I, I find is interesting. Yeah, the, we, the, the advantages and disadvantages and how to get rid of them or work on them, those kind of things. Like you said, if you're doing a campaign that, you know, would be really good. You know, Maria's a noble woman. 
So her reactions and her interactions with Sit Lolly may be different if you're going on. And it could be Sit Lolly's trying to meet Maria halfway and Maria's trying to go, you know, so, you know, that, that does give you those options and they're in the book and they're, you know, codified. So that's really good that, you know, you can not just, not just role play them. It's actually part of the, you know, the core mechanic yeah. of the game. Well, Danny, let me ask you, cause you're the only one that really use any sort of spirit. I, I skipped over that section completely cause I didn't, wasn't using it as my character. And I'm like, ah, that's 20 pages. I don't have to read. <clears throat> um, so how, how simple or complex was the, uh, was the magic system? Well, I guess that depends how well I was, I was understanding it. Um, <laughs> actually, it seemed pretty straightforward. What, I think there was some balancing to be done because there's a couple of spells in it that were kind of more mechanically focused that didn't seem to be worth using. Um, so I think there might be some balancing work to be done with it still. Just a couple of the more um, Pasta Nostra and Ave Maria Um were kind of costly for what the benefits were compared to others. Um, but what I do like is how closely all of it ties to the religious themes. Like we were saying, it doesn't shy away from difficult subject matter. The fact that it's all Christianity is really cool. And a lot of the, the kind of ideas for spells I found really interesting. So there are specifically spells around absolution and baptism um, and, you know, permanently converting people to your faith. And there's a lot of mechanics tied to that. Um, and, and kind of the back end of it. So, like, you can try and convert someone to to, Christian, um, to Christianity, and if that person isn't sincere, it has a massive impact on your, um, I think, corruption levels. So, like, if you're trying, to, if you're going to convert someone and baptize them, and you you misjudge their state of mind and their willingness and their their, their genuine belief in, in you know Christ and and what it is you're trying to sell. Um, that can have massive consequences for you as a character. So it's quite heavily tied in, not only mechanically, but to the role play and to the definitely the setting of the lore, um, which I really liked. I thought it was some really interesting stuff in there. And it's all tied, tied to, you know, expelling demons and, and breaking bread and very religious themes. Um, and I thought that was great. I don't know whether or not um, you'd, you'd want more if you've come from a more traditional fantasy game like with D&D you've got all of the divine and then all of the arcane and all of the, the kind of nature domains etc etc and so far everything that's in it is kind of tied to Christian faith but what would be amazing is if maybe they start creating new spells for some of the other cultures um, which I imagine is the intention Yeah. Um, but I, I couldn't say yeah. but yeah I like it, I like it a lot, really interesting spell casting, really cool cool and, and what about you, Kurt? How was your your? You feel your character was well balanced? Did, you know, was it easy to play? You know, did you find it difficult to try to work in traits and things? No, I. She was her her all of her stuff was very easy. You know, it's just she's basically just gonna throw herself into a fight and you know take people down. You know, unfortunately, and then I didn't. You know, I started to work on you know trying to keep you guys at arm's length, but annoying the shit out of me so i had to kind of play play to that and you're trying to get something out of sebastian and he wasn't given so i was just kind of like well i'm just gonna go almost opposite of that way and try to you know earn your guys respect instead so it kind of went that aspect instead in you know in that direction but no i think it went very smooth i, I had no problems with it at all i was i was actually very nervous coming into it because i <laughs> 
because I'm still very new when it comes to anything role playing. So for me, it's like, ah, oh, geez, you know, read all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to re- remember all the stuff, you know, and like, you know, you guys are all talking about like, oh yeah, the 16th century and this happened, this happened. I'm terrible with history. So I'm like, I'm just like, I'll let you guys tell me what happened. And then I'll kind of play to the strengths of her character and stuff like that. So I think it went out really good. Yeah. I was say with that being said, I, I thought that your portrayal of her was really good. And I've, you know, we, so we have a good rapport from the fear game. So I, I feel like our, you know, back and forth was really good. And, and I think, you know, the way Danny played Sebastian is more, you know, maybe kind of dour and a little bit more um, soft-spoken, I guess. I don't know. It's quite, quite the right word. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I thought as a, as a group overall, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it, completely enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> played their roles very well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Now, what about for you, Kevin, trying to learn a new system and like, two weeks and get it on the table. How, how difficult was that? Or, or was it easy? Oh, I think, I think the only issues I had was just because it's a pre Kickstarter kind of play test. I think if this was a book that was on, you know, it's on drive through RPG, but if this was the final mm-hmm. release of a book, I think, you know, all the stuff that we've, that we said, I think would have been ironed out. Cause I think they're also, you know, I think the guys are taking a lot of feedback, I mean, that's you, know, they said it being a living game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just some of the descriptions, the way the book's laid out a bit for some of the roles. But other than that, I I was a bit worried before last week going in. But I think once we got on and we said, this is kind of all what we think. Either we were all on the right page, we were all on the same page, but it was wrong. But we all read it the same way. Yeah. Or once you talk to the guys and they said, oh, no, no, this is the way it is. And then when you told us that, we went, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I think <laughs> I think it's a really easy it's really easy to pick up if you're going to run it. I think it's really easy to pick up. And I think, like Daniel said, if you're new to it, I think it's easy to pick up from a playing standpoint. Because like you said, you grab a deck of cards and you can play your best hand and you have to decide whether you want to play a good hand on this swing or the next swing kind of thing. I think it is – it goes really good. And, you know, I – it helps that the setting and the history and stuff is really good and really in depth because you know, that draws you in. So it's just not all crunch where you're reading tables or reading how to do this. I think the backstories and the history, if you're new to it, that kind of draws you in saying, I really want to play this because this sounds cool and I'll take an extra hour one night to go over the, you know, whether I'm fatigued or the damage and stuff like that. So I think, I think, you know, the, the way it's set up, the history, the the setting kind of says, if you're into that, you'll take that extra bit of time to learn the roles. And the roles really aren't that onerous. It's not like you're playing travel or anything where it's, you know, completely <laughs> crazy. You know, it is pretty straightforward. It's not it's not that crunchy. So, yeah. And and, and we didn't use the rules for a deterioration of, of yeah, weapons, weapons and things and like that, that. armor. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are rules for that. There's also rules for crafting. So you yeah. could, you know, take a deterioration on a sword in the middle of a fight and be like, oh, I take, you know, part of the next day to like hone the edge back down or whatever. So you can kind of continually go up and down with some of those points. At least uh, the Silali pregen had had crafting as well. So you can kind of like mitigate some of those effects or just, you know, like everybody does for D&D encumbrance, pff, whatever. So mm-hmm. you just... You know, you can skip those 
uh, aspects. If I, I don't think they're really integral to the game, but you know, certainly give it a, a different flavor if you want to, you know, go ahead and add that stuff in. When I think from from what we wanted to do, we wanted to give it a good run to see what the system's like, you know, before the Kickstarter. I was I remember reading something that from was it the bundle of holding for flame princess and i'm like oh i'll read that and it's like yeah make sure you kill everyone their first character within the first 10 minutes and then go but you know you don't want to do that because then that doesn't get you through the gameplay and what the setting is and all that kind of stuff so i i don't think this is you know a super you know murderous kind of you know system unless you wanted it to be like that but then everybody has to have a whole bunch of extra characters so you know for this one i wanted to make sure everybody did get through because we didn't want to you know have you know daniel and kurt come on and in an hour after they get on oh they're dead now and we have to try to scramble to try to find oh, another character yeah. yeah well i will say too that the that the other game that they funded which i believe was last year uh is uh, has a similar card mechanic. Uh, the other RPG that they did was Faith, yeah, which yeah, is Faith a RPG. hard sci-fi setting. But I think the core mechanic is the same. Um, so I guess if anybody wanted to check that out, you know, pick up a PDF and be like, well, okay, it sounds kind of cool. Like there's a finished product with mm. a very similar mechanic that you yeah. could, you know, probably Just pick. I don't know what the PDF yeah. goes for, but, you know, it's probably what, like 10 bucks or something. What's that a, typical price for a pdf so you know if you want to really see it in action yeah or, or you know kind of get soup to nuts on it you could probably take a look at that no like i said i think it's really good like daniel said i think it's easy for it's an easy uptake you know if for new people or new new people playing or new people running it's not as onerous as it you know some systems could be so and like i said the key is the setting and the history and the lore and all that is really what's going to sell it. And the artwork for the book, like we said, is really, really good. So, Yeah, the artwork is really good and really evocative. You know, it has like a darker, like a darker feel like the, 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 the two-page spread, like page three, four, or, or what is it, four or five with the, the you know, ship in the background, the guy's coming up out of the water and there's a dragon over it. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it's really good very consistent as well i like i like the consistency of it it really enforces that theme mm -hmm. um, really cool i also think i one of the other things i like about the system as well that i don't think we really touched on that much is i feel like um if once you got familiar with this game the level of awareness and engagement with things is is pretty high so like the enemies with just at the moment they've got light and heavy armor i had um my my main main weapon had piercing on it against light armor, but then I also had point attack and strong attack, so I can inflict different penalties, do custom attacks, and mitigate hard armor and other types of armor. So the benefit to actually engaging with the GM more and saying like, "What's this guy wearing? Who looks like the leader? What's going on around me?" Um, seems pretty huge. But I keep coming back to in my head as the strength of the system. If I was to take something that's kind of dice poorly like say say star wars edge of the empires or something like that where it's got the better part of a dozen symbols trying to teach that to a new player to the extent that they're comfortable with the system comfortable enough to throw the die and quickly realize if they've rolled well or poorly i could teach this game to 50 people in time i could teach it to that level of familiarity um in in the same time so it's very very quick and easy i feel like if if one person knew this game like the gm to then train people on it is so much more straightforward than you'd find with 
um, most kind of behavioral dice-based games, which I thought was just just really nice as an introduction to role-playing. Right, yeah. I think once you get over the hump of the dice and Edge of the Empire, it's a really cool system. It's, you know, very narrative kind of like this, but... Yeah, the, the first handful of times that you roll dice and something like that, it's like, I, what? This one negates this one. And what? no, is it? I, okay, well, I failed, but I succeeded really, kind of, sort of. <laughs> so it takes a little bit to kind of wrap your head around something. I, like I that. found, having run a lot of people through it, that what tends to be the case with Edge of the Empire, especially once you're throwing a few more die, was that you'd figure out someone at the table, usually in, in this case, me, because I played it more than the people <laughs> I was playing with. People would feel, figure out that you could always read the die eight seconds ahead of them, so they stop then reading them at all and wait for that one person to tell them the result. Um, but at that point, they're not learning the system and 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 getting you know uh, developing within it. Whereas something like this feels to me like it's something much more approachable. I do think because I've come from D twenty, D ten, you know, classic games of that ilk, that it would take me longer to pick this up than say. D&D 6th Ed or 7th Ed or like a new version of Pathfinder, this would take me longer to learn. But then once I got it down to then impart that to other people, it feels intuitive to me. It feels like something you could do quickly and it feels narrative driven. And I like the, I mentioned earlier about the flexibility of having cards versus die. One thing I like about this is the difficulty in this game is entirely determined by how long the the game master wants to go between refreshing your hands. So, so if you want it to be the skill checks we did tonight and the other day, none of them were particularly threatening in terms of the number. We were only beating fours and fives. So nothing was that hard to beat, but it would have been the number of times we had to beat them and, and particularly with regards to combats that 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 Kurt could have come in and gone, right, I'm now gonna make the game hard without the game itself needing to be hard. And that puts all of the control in the hands of the GM. And that's, I think, really cool. I don't, you don't see that enough in games these days, um, is empowering the GMs to, to make the game work for their players. And I think um, it like makes a, it's a good balance of the really prescribed stuff where it's like this is how every, this is every, you know, every confrontation, every check, it has to be this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very rigid or it's the very open storytelling. Well, you do it whatever way you want, however you feel, you know, I think it strikes a balance of if people, you know, some people like Neil do very good at the ad-libbing and kind of open kind of thing, or people who go strictly by the numbers, this one does a good balance of you can do it either way, or you can kind of do a hybrid or, you know, a hybrid of you can make it kind of be, very open, but also put some numbers against it. So I think that works out really good. It's that good hybrid of both. I feel like that's one of the areas in which is maybe most unique is you tend to get two schools of thought with these games is you've got like the dice pool ones, which are very open, very interpretive, very conversational. And then you get like D&D where it's hard DCs and you succeed or you fail. And with this where, you know, the minimum numbers, the succession with caveats and then trucking up from there, it, it, it creates a dice pool approach without the dice pool. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, and if you can't, you know, if you're doing a storytelling one and you come and say, I'm going to do this and this and this, and it sounds awesome, but you're real shitty, but you don't <laughs> also don't want to stick to that because you're like, oh, that sounds really good. I want that to succeed. You know, at least with this, you know, you get a bit of flexibility that you came up with an awesome idea. 
I'm not going to penalize you because you rolled a one or a two because, you know, that that's what the dice says. It sounded too good to pass up. I want to try to make sure you can do that. And I think that gives, you know, th- this one gives you that flexibility to do that. I think I think that's actually a great point because I tend to, with, say, D&D, when I'm playing with a group, I usually, I'll usually be the dungeon master, we'll have people do the roll first and then narrate because nobody wants to describe this amazing scene, the roll of one and have it get messed up. But what I like about this game is it, it says you should give the players as many excuses as possible to to kind of describe their actions warranting advantages. So it incentivizes you to describe what you want to do first, have the GM throw out a bunch of advantages, and then do the roll after the fact, which is kind of almost preferable to just seeing the number and going, oh, it's going to be shit before you've done anything. It's, it's nicer to have had that narrative, that storytelling brought to the forefront instead of making it almost arbitrary and burying it behind your role. So again, I think that's a real strength of the system and maybe one that people wouldn't notice. It's not an obvious strength, but it, it is nice in play. Great. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Upwind by Jeff Barber over uh, Biohazard Games. I'm listening to the uh, to the actual play that RPPR did uh, a little while back when he was on Kickstarter. You know that when you negotiate stakes beforehand. So like what you guys are saying is, you know, you can sort of narrate, negotiate, and like, well, like when, you know, I asked about getting advantage for Sinawali, like, well, can I get advantage? Because, you know, we have, you know, four on one or three on one. So kind of like using the environment, describing your actions to try to get, you know, maybe advantage or disadvantage uh, Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, impose those things on the NPCs or the story. So it kind of has a little bit of that sort of feel. And I guess that's maybe just because it's more of a narrative-based game. But I, it's funny, I've been listening to that, and I was like, ah, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit, you know, because mm. you are kind of discussing, like, well, what's happening in this scene? You know, how can we kind of, like, play around with this? Mm. Uh, and the other guess, thing... No, go ahead. No, no, go I was going to say, the other thing, I, I know we, um, I think Kurt mentioned it right, right at the start of uh, when we first started playing the other night, but um, the other thing I think is really cool, which again you're seeing more and more of now, but I, I like it every time I see it, is the idea of doing this living campaign, starting from the, the pre-Kickstarter, running through, I think episodes one and two are, to do, uh, are after the Kickstarter, and then they're moving past that with the setting, but deriving from there then on. But um, it, it's always nice to see something being reactive and evolving and, and taking on feedback. I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I like that they're using that as, you know, it it gets everybody more purchased to want to, you know, tell a better story because then if you have all these great ideas and you give it to them and they kind of put it into it, it's like, you know, a little piece of that is partly yours too. So it gives you more ownership of that thing. So I think the thing is as well, when you tend to see living campaigns, it tends to be a campaign, a living story, as in an adventure series. So they kind of know going in, okay, there's two divergent routes here, and there's two here, there's two here. And it only lasts as long as the story run. What I really like about this project is they said that they're going to do these, the, I think it's the three episodes, zero, one, two, at the very least, before the setting book. So this isn't just this dictating the next module in a series. It's the entire living world which is feels much grander. And I really hope they carry that through to fruition because it's a great little concept. Um, pretty cool. Yeah. I, I also mentioned that the, you know, we were looking at the characters like, you know, so he has four health. You're like, man, how the hell are you ever going to last at anything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you do get armor, which is good, so that'll negate some of the damage. Um, I think we had we all had damage that was three. Um, I you know dagger was two. So you know I stab somebody with the dagger and they have hard armor. It's nothing essentially. Um, and then the, it's interesting that the the basic attack essentially attacks the torso, chest area. But the GM can play either pull a card to determine location. I think I think the other option is they can just say, oh, you got hit in the arm. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it has almost like a built-in critical table because if you take two shots in your arm or your leg, you lose it. Like, it's got, like that's it. <laughs> you know? There's no fixing it. You, you just lost it. So then, you know, your, your character has to negotiate the world in another way or, you know, maybe you retire that character if you don't want that sort of, you know, handicap, you know, quote-unquote handicap. Um, you know, as a player. So it's, it's it can be very deadly. We didn't see that actually happen in play. Um, you know, Kevin didn't actually pull any cards to determine locations, so I guess that's good for us. <laughs> <laughs> but depending on how lethal, I guess, maybe you want to make a campaign, you know, that that's certainly an option. Yeah, and I think I saw a chart somewhere about the... Um about consequences of, of localized damage on various skill checks and uh, there was more about that as well where you could be really handicapped from it i just i can't remember which which section it was in. i was just looking for it but it's evading me yeah i think but, it, if we're thinking the same thing if you use the same skill more than once in a round you start to take disadvantages on it and and i wonder whether or not that includes combat because technically melee is a skill which make somewhat real world sense. Like if you're fighting, you're getting tired as you're fighting, but you know, if you're only going to do, you know, one point of damage every round, you, you have to do the same thing over and over. So I'm, I'm interested to see when they come on, uh, whether or not that's the case for, for combat as well. Cause that, that's scary. <laughs> All right. Hi, do we have anything else to, to throw at this or, uh, you think we, we pretty much covered, covered all the things. Yeah, I'm good. I think that's everything I had. Sweet. All right, that's awesome. Kevin, thanks for running. We got a new, yeah. new GM at the table now. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Cool. And, and thanks to, uh, it, you know, it's like three in the morning for Daniel. So absolutely thanks for, uh, you know, getting up and not sleeping today, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was great when we had you on before, so we're glad to uh, have you back. And Kurt, you're always here, so it's always good to uh, to see you and the chance to hang out a little bit. Yeah, it better be. All the things I do for you, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. It was awesome to play with Daniel and Kevin. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. Awesome. Well, so if you like this AP as much as we enjoyed playing it, we hope that you, you know, go ahead and uh, check out the Kickstarter. I don't know exactly what's going to be on there. Obviously, they're going to have PDFs, hardcovers. I know they're going to have engraved dice as stretch goals. They're going to have uh, cards, so you don't have to use your own playing cards. You can actually get cards that have the symbols marked on them already. I'm sure they'll look fantastic. Uh, the art is amazing. Uh, so we hope that you check it out. We hope that you liked it. Um, Tell them Legends of Tabletop sent you. That way they know they're not wasting their time over here. <laughs> but uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and thanks for everybody uh, watching, checking it out. And uh, we'll catch you next time.
Just as a quick follow-up, uh, anybody who's been following the project knows that the uh, Kickstarter was unfortunately canceled. Um, they will be coming back to Kickstarter, I believe, in the spring, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they did some, uh, some AMAs on it. Uh, they were on Facebook Live a little while back to talk about it. Um, everything still stands. It was a super fun game. Uh, it was very enjoyable, and we hope that you will check it out when they do come back to Kickstarter. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.